This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. In the period of our study, 1600 to 1900, the word chance for scientists and philosophers is an equivocal term. It is a word with multiple meanings that often are not distinguished from one another and can be in direct conflict with one another. The dominant meaning of chance is exclusively subjective. An event is called a chance event when we do not know its determinant causes in reality, but in fact, it must have determinant causes such that it could turn out in only one way. We call the event chance because of our lack of knowledge of the deterministic way the world actually is. Other times the word chance is an objective description of an event in reality. Why are there these different meanings? One holding that there is no objective meaning of chance and the other holding that there are objectively chance events. These different meanings of chance naturally flow from different scientific methods of the early modern period. On the one hand, the reduction of physics to mathematical physics, impelled especially by Newton's success in the Principia, led 18th century thinkers to an exclusively subjective meaning of chance and to the denial that any events can objectively be called chance events. On the other hand, in, for example, Darwin's 19th century biological science, because it is non-mathematical and, in fact, teleological, we find a description of chance events in nature that is in accord with the Aristotelian Thomistic understanding of chance. Thus, in our period, chance is an equivocal term with mutually exclusive meanings flowing from distinct scientific methods. It can refer to the world as objectively open to multiple outcomes, but most of the time refers only to subjective uncertainty about a deterministic physical world that can turn out in only one way. The standard interpretation of the worldview that arose in the 18th and 19th century from the mathematical physics of Newton is that every event in the physical world is unalterably determined. Often quoted and interpreted as expressing this, this deterministic worldview is the 1820 statement of Pierre-Simon Laplace, quotation. We ought to regard the present state of the universe as the effect of its antecedent state and as the cause of the state that is to follow. An intelligence knowing all the forces acting in nature at a given instance, as well as the momentary positions of all things in the universe, would be able to comprehend in one single formula the motions of the largest bodies as well as the lightest atoms in the world, provided that its intellect were sufficiently powerful to subject all data to analysis. To it, nothing would be uncertain. The future as well as the past would be present to its eyes. The perfection that the human mind has been able to give to astronomy affords but a feeble outline of such an intelligence. Discoveries in, me 
mechanics and geometry coupled with those in universal gravitation have brought the mind within reach of comprehending in the same analytical formula the past and the future state of the system of the world. All of the mind's efforts in the search for truth tend to approximate the intelligence we have just imagined, although it will forever remain infinitely remote from such an intelligence. End of quotation. There are two components of the deterministic worldview embedded in Laplace's statement. The first component is an assertion that the physical world objectively is determined. Every event must have a unique cause, and so for every set of antecedent conditions, there is only one possible set of consequent conditions. The world can turn out in only one way. To assert, then, that an event is objectively a chance event is to deny that the event is caused, and an uncaused event is absurd. Every event has a cause, and every true cause-effect relation is a necessary connection. To deny the necessity and determinate character of the cause-effect link is to deny causality itself. Now, as we have heard, the Aristotelian Thomistic notion of objectively chance events does not assert, assert that chance events are uncaused, but asserts that the causes are not teleologically ordered to one another. Laplacian determinism, however, which is the expression of the dominant view of, the early, modern, of early modern physics and permeates much of modern thought, asserts that a chance event means an uncaused event, and an, and an uncaused event is absurd. The second component of this Laplacian deterministic worldview is subjective and describes the theoretical and practical possibilities of our knowledge. The assertion is that full scientific knowledge of the antecedent conditions would allow us to predict with certainty the one set of consequent conditions which must necessarily follow. That is, if we knew all the mathematical causal laws and knew the mathematical values of all the relevant data for those causal laws, we could, in theory, predict the future infallibly, since the future can, by the laws of physics, turn out in only one way. Of course, we cannot, practically speaking, ever expect to have such complete scientific knowledge. And so, we refer to an event as a chance event because our ignorance of antecedent conditions and physical laws made the event unpredictable to us. Chance in this sense has no objective reality since every event has determinate causes which act necessarily. But the word chance is refer, refer, used to refer to our subjective ignorance of these determinate causes. As science progresses, the Instances of chance events, that is, of events whose determinate causes we formerly did not understand, decreases. Laplace was voicing positions already taken by the three most influential modern philosophers, René Descartes, who died in 1650, David Hume, who died in 1776, and Immanuel Kant, who died in 1804. Descartes and Kant were dualists who held that the essence of the physical world is its mathematical intelligibility. The mind-body problem for Descartes was essentially a problem of how there could be 
causal interaction between immaterial mind and material body, since each is assumed by, De by Descartes to be a self-contained closed causal system independent of the other. Similarly for Kant, the physical world of our experience is essentially a world determined by physical causal laws, which necessitate all outcomes, so that the physical world can only turn out in one way. Hume held that the essential meaning of causal connection is necessity. If two events are not causally connected, or sorry, if two events are not necessarily connected, then they are not causally connected. And so Hume asserted what became the standard view, an objectively chance event would be the same as an uncaused event. For each of these three most important modern philosophers, chance has no objective reality in the physical world. And the reason is that the physical world is a world exhaustively explained by the mathematical physics whose modern origin originators were Galileo Galilei, died in 1642, and Isaac Newton, who died in 1727. One objection made at the time to Galileo's heliocentrism was that heliocentrism required a single physics of terrestrial and celestial motions to replace the two physics of the terrestrial and the celestial inherited from Aristotle. And there was no such single physics. Galileo was convinced that a unified mathematical physics would accomplish the goal of unifying physics, but he could not complete the task. Newton's mathematical physics, as published in the Philosophiae Naturales Principia Mathematica, first editions in 1687, accomplished the task of unifying the physics of celestial and terrestrial motion. However, unlike Galileo, for whom the book of nature is written in the language of mathematics, Newton held that the mathematical physics of the Principia assumed the possibility of a non-mathematical natural philosophy in order to explain real-world physical causes and forces non-mathematically. If there is a mathematical measure, there must be a physical reality measured. And Newton held that the physical reality was more than just a quantity. For example, Newton was convinced that gravity is a real causal force in nature the operation of which the Principia had exhaustively explained mathematically. But the mathematics itself does not tell us what kind of physical causal force gravity is, according to Newton. Is the, gra is the physical gravitational force, he asked, an internal impetus in an environment? Or is it an external pull? Newton's non-fingo, I do not fashion or make hypotheses, was an assertion that the question of the non-mathematical nature of that which is mathematically measured is a real question in natural philosophy. Although, of course, what kind of non-mathematical reality is gravity is a meaningless question in mathematical physics. For the mathematical physicist, gravity simply is the mathematical equation. However, Newton held that there is an intelligible causality real in the world 
whose full nature is not knowable in exclusively mathematical terms. As the explanatory and predictive and retrodictive success of mathematical physics became more apparent in the 18th century, it came to be held by many, including Hume, Kant, and other Laplacian determinists, that the only intelligible reality in the physical world is mathematical. Similarly, when statistical mathematical models were introduced in the 19th century to investigate, for example, the behavior of gases, the assumption generally made was that particles move lawfully and by proper causality and not randomly and without sufficient cause. That is, statistical methods are necessary because of our inability to know the physical causes accounting for each particle's motion. The randomness and chance in statistical methods in the physics of the 19th century were descriptions of the state of our knowledge, the subjective meaning of chance, and were not taken as evidence that physical determinism is false. The motion of each particle, although in practice not measurable, was in theory mathematically measurable and able to be thoroughly accounted for. And so objectively the system was held to be deterministic. The theoretical potential of adequate physical laws and the possibility of precise measurement implies an absolute determinism in the physical world. The inevitable result of reducing physics to exclusively mathematical physics was the physical determinism of Laplace. In an exclusively mathematical physics, all that is taken as real in the physical world is what can be measured mathematically and associated by mathematical formulas. Thus, early modern mathematical physics reduced all of the physical world to a single law governed system without distinct natures. And from this reduction of all physical intelligibility to mathematics, there followed the notion of the absolute necessity of the physical world of 18th and 19th century determinism. This absolute necessity was derived not from nature itself, but from the necessity of mathematics. For if the intelligibility of, of reality is completely captured in mathematical formulas and measurements, then it follows from the complete correspondence between mathematical formulas and physical world that the necessity inherent in mathematics is mirrored by a corresponding absolute necessity in the events of the physical world. In mathematical physics, all definitions and all intelligibility are expressed in mathematical terms and by measurements alone. Physical determinism and the elimination of the possibility of objective chance events is a necessary consequence of a physics which is essentially mathematical, in which all foundational definitions and laws are quantitative. The only meaning left for the word chance is subjective, our ignorance of the causal laws actually operating in nature. Chance then has no scientifically useful or valid meaning in the Laplacian determinism of mathematical physics. Charles Darwin died in 1882. In keeping with the predominant understanding of chance, accepted that there are no physical events, or sorry, accepted that there are, there are no uncaused physical events, 
and so rejected the possibility of chance events if the implied meaning were uncaused events. For Darwin, all physical events were determined in their outcome by necessary and invariant physical causes. However, Darwin's non-mathematical, biological method left room for two meanings of chance that he considered scientifically valid and useful meanings. Both, I would maintain, are in accordance with the Aristotelian Thomistic meaning of chance events in the world. Sciences are not, properly speaking, about individuals, but about universals, that is, classes or kinds. The individual is known in as much as it fits into a class or kind. In mathematical physics, all physical events ultimately fit under the one kind of quantitative, measurable. All reality is studied insofar as it partakes of quantity. In biology, there are distinct species and populations, and the analogical explanatory principle natural, natural selection properly for, refers to what happens to populations. Natural selection does not describe individuals in a population. It does not assert that each individual with a favorable variation in an environment will experience reproductive advantage over those lacking the favorable variation. Too much can happen in the world for biology to make scientific claims about individuals. Natural selection explains what tends to happen at the level of populations. In that sense, Darwinian natural selection is akin to a statistical theory, although Darwin held that natural selection represents a real causal agent in the physical biological world. What happens to individuals always has a cause, but that cause may not be related to the causality of natural selection. A falling rock might kill an individual aardvark when that event is unrelated to the selective advantage of the individual aardvark's traits. Such events as aardvark death by falling rock are considered by Darwin objectively chance events, which have objectively real causes, but whose objectively real causes are not speaking biological causes and themselves causally related to natural selection. Thus, although at the level of the individual it may seem that chance reigns, there is for Darwin a larger order of the whole, the population. There is the order of the species and species interaction with the environment. The orderliness and lawfulness of nature is revealed by the statistical approach, which shows that what is subject to chance at the level of the individual is according to pattern and organization. Chance at the individual level is subject to order at the species level, so that chance at a lower level is limited by a higher level regularity and order, the order of the dynamic universe, which in biology is expressed in the ordering principle of natural selection. There's a second use in Darwin's biology of what is equivalent to an Aristotelian Thomistic understanding of chance. In the 1875 edition of his The Variation of Animals and Plants Under Domestication, Darwin says, quotation, 
Evolution by natural selection absolutely depends on what we in our ignorance call spontaneous or accidental variability. Let an architect be compelled to build an edifice with uncut stones fallen from a precipice. The shape of each fragment may be called accidental. Yet the shape of each has been determined by events and circumstances, all of which depend on natural laws. But there is no relation between these laws and the purpose for which each fragment is used by the builder. In the same manner, the variations of each creature are determined by fixed and immutable laws. But these bear no relation to the living structure which is slowly built up through the power of selection. End of quotation. That is, natural selection is an instance of determinative, lawful natural cause. Natural selection as an active cause of the origin of new species must operate on a potential element, what today we refer to as genetic variability. However, although Darwin is convinced that variability rises from, arises from natural causal laws, he does not know what those causes are. In our ignorance of the natural causal laws, we say these variations happen by chance. To this point, Darwin accepts the standard meaning of chance as referring subjectively to the state of our knowledge, or rather ignorance. I think Aristotle and Thomas would generally not use the word chance to stand for our ignorance. And to this extent, Darwin's use is non-Thomistic. However, in what Darwin goes on to say, he is describing as objective reality the Thomistic notion of chance. For he, for he asserts that the, natural law, that the natural laws governing variability of offspring, whatever those laws turn out to be, bear no relation to the operation of the causality of natural selection. Biological speci speciation through natural selection and variability of offspring are two independent laws of causality not reducible to one another. They are independent lines of causality which concur in speciation without being reducible to a single causal explanation. Variation of offspring are by chance relative to adaptive advantage. In the second sense of chance, namely the independence of the lines of causality of variation of offspring relative to adaptive advantage, there is reintroduced into science what is lost in mathematical physics, distinct natures and true unpredictable historicity in our worldview. Absolute Laplacian determinism, which followed from the assumptions of early modern mathematical physics, is contrary to the more natural biological method of Darwin's evolutionary biology. Chance has caused events whose unpredictability arose not simply from our ignorance, but from the natures of interacting causal systems themselves was reintroduced into physical science in, Dar in Darwinian biology. Let us summarize to this point. The dominant view of Laplacian determinism arises, we are arguing, from the elimination of a scientific 
non-mathematical natural philosophy and its replacement by an exclusively mathematical physics. The reduction of physics to mathematical physics results in the reduction of causality to equations and reduces chance to an exclusively subjective experience of our own ignorance of the true causes. All events in the physical world, even if in practice unpredictable, are in theory predictable because causality as described mathematically can turn out in only one way. The necessity of mathematics is taken as the necessity of the physical world because the intelligibility of the physical world and mathematical physics is taken to be purely quantitative. In this view, asserting that there are objective chance events is equivalent to the absurdity of asserting there are uncaused events. Darwinian biology, although it does at times equate chance with subjective ignorance of true determinate causes, also describes what I take as the equivalent to the Aristotelian Thomistic notion of chance as the interaction of two or more independent causal systems which are not naturally ordered to one another. Natural selection and variability of offspring are both essential to the explanation of the origin of species, but the two are not reducible to a single causal explanation. And so we have two conflicting notions of chance in early modern science a purely subjective meaning, which, re which refers to our ignorance of a determinate physical world, and an objective meaning that admits of events that are truly related in a causal but indeterminate way, and they arise from two different notions of scientific method. An exclusively mathematical physics results in the deterministic view which denies any objective referent for the word chance because its reduction of all reality to its quantitative aspects reduces all reality to a single causal system of measurable interacting forces devoid of true natures and teleology. An evolutionary biological approach such as Darwin's does not reduce its subject matters to quantities alone and does not reduce all causality to biological causality. Thus, Darwin's biology reintroduces objective chance as scientifically relevant, but it still leaves order as dominant in the world over chance, with natural selection as the active principle bringing order out of the chance variations of offspring from one generation to another. There can be no objective chance events if there's not a plurality of determinative causal processes in, in physical reality. That is, there are no chance events if there are no natures. There's another way to frame this whole discussion of chance and determinism, and that is with respect to the notion of teleology or final cause. In our period, teleology or final cause refers to intelligent planning and direction of events. But for Aristotle and Thomas, Teleology, final cause, is built into the nature of efficient cause. Final cause is simply what a natural efficient cause does. There is no efficient causality if there is no final causality for Aristotle and Thomas. Final causality is the ordination of natures to produce some relatively stable outcome. 
True, Thomas argues that there are no natures if there is no divine creative intelligence. But divine causality in events is not a principle of any natural science and is not an explanatory principle employed by the natural sciences. Darwin's principle of natural selection is, I argue, an expression of a teleological principle because it arises from a natural intrinsic drive towards flourishing in an environment. However, a mathematical physics which makes all forces extrinsic necessarily limits teleology to an extrinsic intelligence. And in that respect, teleology is not part of scientific explanation. If we accept that there are distinct natures, and so recognize that some natures are teleologically ordered for interaction as a system of mutually dependent natures, then we must also recognize that there are objectively chance events in which natures do sometimes interact outside of their natural teleology because of their potencies. These chance interactions are causal events. There is no sense in Thomism that chance events are uncaused. But they are not in theory or in practice absolutely predictable because they are not absolutely necessary. The necessary scientific knowledge we have of chance events, according to Thomas, is in the explanation we may be able to give after the chance event has occurred. This necessity is called suppositional necessity. We recognize, for example, that these two natures, whatever they are, these two natures do not normally interact. But in this case, they did for reasons and with effects we can understand scientifically after the fact. Physical science, because it studies natures, is not predictive, predictive except with probability or on the supposition that in this case, no chance intervenes. Let us close with some reflections on the difference it makes. What difference do these views of chance and nature make beyond the physical sciences? For Thomas, because we are rational bodily beings, the only access natural reason has to immaterial reality is by means of our knowledge of the physical world. There must be something about our scientific, ex our scientific experience of the material world which leads us to the necessary conclusion that immaterial being exists. And from our understanding of material effects, we're able to make analogically true assertions about immaterial causes. However, an exclusively mathematical physics is blind to realities that cannot be quantified. Mathematical physics is a closed system, which takes as a given that the material world exists, as any physics initially must, and has no reason to ask about causes of being, since it understands reality in terms of proportions of measurable forces. For Thomas, natural science ultimately fails if it does not lead beyond itself to immaterial reality. The post-Kantian modern notion 
generally holds that natural science contradicts and destroys itself if it in any way includes or concludes to the existence of immaterial reality. This reduction of natures to quantities in mathematical physics both closes the door to natural knowledge of God and also leads ultimately to the reduction of ethics to will to power. For ethics for Thomas is a description of how human nature achieves human fulfillment. But the elimination of natures in the mathematical physics of the early modern period in favor of quantitative relationships means that there is no human nature which can be known and which can serve as the ground of ethics. Inevitably, if ethics is not grounded in what the intellect knows, ethics will be determined by what the will is able to will. Ethics becomes nothing but power in the name of good. But we have argued that 19th century biology is more natural than mathematical physics, allowing for natures and the objectively real chance that follows from true, true teleology. However, Darwin and many other biologists accepted the closed system understanding of physical science inherited from mathematical physics. All biological species must be explained by physical, biological causes alone. Thus, it was necessary to fudge the evidence, to dumb down what humans do and smarten up what animals do. For Darwin, reason becomes problem solving, and problem solving abilities differ only in degree among the animal and human species. The pathway to the immateriality of the human person was closed in the science of biology, not by evidence, but by unjustified philosophical presuppositions. There's no denying the great advantages, not just in technology, but also in knowledge of physical reality, which have resulted from the early modern development of mathematical physics. However, I am arguing, and I think I am doing so on Thomistic grounds, that mathematical physics unfettered from natural philosophy ultimately results in scientism and from there skepticism. Nonetheless, scientists generally, and certainly the science, scientists of the early modern period, were convinced that they really were engaged in knowing reality as it is even if mathematical physics should in theory close itself off to any reality which is not quantifiable, many physicists still look for knowledge of the fullness of reality. But still the question must be asked, what concepts and terminology could they use to describe the non-mathematical reality to which their mathematics gave them access? It seems to me that a return to a mathematical physics that is ordered to a non-mathematical natural philosophy, one that employs the non-mathematical concepts and terminology of potency and act, of nature and chance, of the four causes and suppositional necessity, and of natural definitions rather than mathematical descriptions of motion, place, and time, 
seems to me that return is necessary to avoid the ultimately anthropocentric and skeptical conclusions that inevitably follow from an exclusively mathematical physics. Thank you.